Bonsoir. Bonsoir, messieurs dames. Uh, good evening, everyone. Je m'appelle Marie Joseph Pauli, Vrouk Gilbert de Montier de Loviette. My name is Marie Joseph Pauli, Vrouk Gilbert de Montier de Loviette. You may call me Major General Loviette or the Marquis de Loviette. Oui. Uh, as she was uh, so kind to uh, tell you, uh, I was born the 6th of September 1757. And I was born into nobility. I was a very rich uh, individual. Huh? My father unfortunately passed away when I was two years old, as uh, my family tends to do, a long line of soldiers in the French armies. My father died on the battlefield at the Battle of Minden. He was shot right out of his boots by a cannonball. <laughs> we do take honor in his death. Uh, representing all of France. Hmm? I uh, wish to serve as a soldier in honor of my family traditions. And so I went to school at a very young age. Uh, between the age of 13 and 14, I was studying to be a soldier in the armies. By the age of 16, I was a colonel in the cavalry. Hmm? By the age of 17, I am uh, told I will marry Adrien Noyes. This is another very, very rich family. She is related to the king. She has a lot of wealth, and we are able to put all of our finances together. My mother, unfortunately, uh, she does pass away when I am 11 years old. So I do not know but so much about my own uh, mother and father. I was raised by my grandfather until he unfortunately passed away when I was about 11, uh, maybe 12 years old, and my aunt. They are the ones that help to uh, uh, reunite the two noble families to tell me who I am supposed to marry. I do love and admire and adore my new wife, Adrien, as she does admire myself. <laughs> she will always continue to uh, uh, be proud of myself, to honor me, not only in my endeavors, but to show her full support in every choice I make. Now, she <clears throat> does give birth to our first daughter, when we were very young. <laughs> uh, my first daughter, Henrietta, does not live beyond two years old. Our second daughter, she is pregnant in 1777, when I hear of this Declaration of Independence. I read this declaration, and I am inspired to fight for the rights of man. I have a, a very uh, poignant meeting with uh, Silas Dean, a representative from Americas, and Benjamin Franklin. They tried to convince me that they need someone just like myself, a career soldier with the knowledge of strategies to help their armies survive in this war. I am again encouraged to read the Declaration of Independence. This rights of man is very passionate 
it is something that I wish to attach myself to. I tell Mr. Franklin that I have already enlisted in the cause. I just need to join the colors. My wife, as I have mentioned, is still pregnant with our second child. <laughs> I decide to go against my king and to go against my relatives who are convincing me that France does not want to join in this conflict this early. So I pay for my own ways to go to America. I buy the boat, the Victory, proudly named, <laughs> and I travel from Frances to Georgetown, South Carolina. <laughs> we were able to land that far south on purpose. We did not want to run into any British uh, ship that might overtake us and force me into uh, prisons. Hmm? I then uh, was able to march all the way to Philadelphia, where, as the lady was able to point out to you, I asked for a uh, conference, a, a, co a conversation with the president of the conventions. And I tell them, I will fight for you. I have the knowledge and the know-how. I want to be in your charge. They tell us, uh, we have no monies to give you as a, a rank of major general, so we cannot afford to give you a commission. You cannot join our armies. I tell them, I will do it with my own monies. They tell me, we have no regiment to give you men in the field. So I tell them, I will prove myself. You put me next to Washington, and I will show what I can do. So Washington's approval, they made me the aide-de-camp to Washington. I was able to serve under him, and he was uh, uh, telling me that we have so many field, uh, men in the field with no clothes, no shoes, no blankets to keep them warm, no tents. It is a very unfortunate-looking armies. I tell him, I am here to learn, not to teach. At this point, I am winning uh, Mr. Washington's respect. Me. I then uh, try to prove myself without taking charge of Washington's armies. I try to be near him. I try to prove that we have the forces, the abilities to uh, win against the British in combat. Even if we cannot win the battle, we will hold our own against the British wars. Hmm? I <clears throat> ask him repeatedly, give me a regiment. Let me take charge during the Battle of Brandywine. And he says, no, not at the moment. I see the side, the flank, crumbling before us. I tell him again, give me charge of the flank. I will save it. He finally says, do what you can. I charge all the way out to the flank where it is starting to fall apart and retreat. And I convince everyone with the side of my blade to stay in line and move forward. We are still getting uh, uh, beaten back by the British, but I push them forward. I get off of my horse, and now I am using the uh, blade of the sword to poke them forward, hmm? <laughs> to hopefully encourage them to move forward. Hmm? Uh, at this point, at this point, 
there is nothing uh, that we can do to save this line. All we can do is organize a retreat. I am shot through the calf of the boot, my left uh, leg, and I am taken out of the battery. But I still try to organize the retreat while being carried off. Huh? I am telling them to organize, to retreat, to fall back so that we can uh, um, fight for another day. I was able to save at uh, Brandywine the entire Continental Armies from being wiped out by losing that flank and being rolled up. So I was very fortunate in that particular battle. Now I have told you twice that my wife was pregnant when I left her in Frances. This is our second child. I am now at this point told via letter that I have a daughter, Anastasia. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> uh, at this point, I have joined the Continental Armies. I have proven myself. Washington is openly in front of uh, uh, in, uh, everyone that he sees. He is calling me his adopted son. I have taken it upon myself to resign from Frances and to join the Continental Armies. I, before you, am wearing the uniform of a Major General in this Continental Armies. This is modeled after uh, Washington's own uniform. And as I understand it, Washington had resigned his commission from the British troops to form a militia, a uh, Virginia Independent Company of Maine. The uniform in this militias is the uniform you see before you. The blue coat, the buff lapels, the buff waistcoat, and the buff breeches. This particular uniform is the uniform that Washington decides to make the uh, standard uniform of the American Continental Armies above a certain rank so that he could tell the officers from the regular soldiers. <laughs> this becomes the standard uniform. I wear two stars on my epaulette hmm, of a major general. There is only one officer above myself with three stars. This is Washington. However, there are several major generals. They have rank above myself because of their tenure in this particular armies. Now, uh, after a certain time, uh, Washington does not be able to see uh, the stars from across the battlefield. So he does not know who uh, the highest ranking officer on any particular point of the battlefield is. So he tells us to wear uh, sashes of different colors, to wear uh, bands around our arms of different colors. Of course, we move forward um, to what I am currently wearing. It is the plume that you see before you. This is the plume denoting the rank of Major General, white above black. It is so that when I am standing with the regular regiment, you can still see where I am, and by the colors, you can see what I am. <laughs> ah. This um, cockade, this bow on the side of my uh, shepherd, uh, this uh, bow is a French-American alliance cockade. <laughs> 
it shows that we are working together. This, of course, is after I went back to Frances and tried to convince my king that we should enter in this war to help the Americans. Once I am able to do this, the king has given us special orders not to take charge, but to assist Washington. And with my support, I will rejoin my regiments as a major general in the Continental Armies with Rochambeau and several other officers as the representatives of the French armies. Now, I have been fortunate to be in several battles. Mammoth Courthouse, uh, Malvern Hill, uh, I was also at uh, Valley Forge. Uh, I tried uh, at one point to uh, lead an expedition to Canada's, but it does not uh, uh, follow through. Uh, I was able to uh, um, stop the, what they call a Conway Cabal. Hmm? <laughs> this is where General uh, Conway and several other individuals wanted to overtake Washington to take him out of the position of commander-in-chief to put somebody they deemed more worthy in that position. I was able to uncover part of this uh, secrets and uh, together with several other loyal uh, officers to Washington, we were able to stop this. Me? Further strengthening our relationship, my, my relationship with Washington. Uh, I do, uh, in 1779, go back to Frances in order to try to get the French to join in the war. At this point, my wife will have our third child. I will uh, name this third child George Washington Louis Montier, <laughs> appropriately after his godfather, George Washington. I will rejoin my regiments, leaving my wife once again in Frances to tend with the uh, two children, <laughs> where I will continue to serve loyally under Washington. Now, she has uh, mentioned before that the, uh, um, I was sent to try to capture Benedict Arnold. Now, I must give you a little insight. General uh, Clinton, I believe, decides to take a southern expedition to uh, South Carolinas with his British forces and move up toward the Virginias. Uh, the state of Virginia is asking for Washington to support them, to save them, to protect them. Baron von Steuben, as well as uh, General Nathaniel Green, and several other individuals are, are already in the South. The Green Mountain Boys of uh, North Carolina are doing their best to stop and prevent the British from overtaking and burning everything. Benedict Arnold is a separate uh, regiment sent straight to Virginia to attack and destroy all supply depots, all munitions warehouses, and everything that might be in support of this cause. This is where Washington sends me with two regiments, the New England Regiment and the New Jersey, uh, New Jersey's regiments, to go and try to capture Benedict Arnold 
to eventually join up with Baron von Steuben and relieve him of command in order to take charge of the uh, southern campaign against what is now Cornwallis. I was able to go to Richmond Town, engage Benedict Arnold, while he was the first general to burn Richmond to the ground. I was able to save uh, most of the supplies, but not all of it. We were uh, able to fight and uh, slow him down in uh, a place called Chester, another place called Petersburg, and then eventually uh, we were able to um, uh, meet up with Baron von Steuben, combine our forces, 2,200 troops to protect all of Virginia. Cornwallis at this point makes it to Virginia. Benedict Arnold is uh, going back up north. And Cornwallis, unfortunately, has about 4,000 soldiers. We are told by General Washington to only annoy the enemies, to only harass them, to slow them down, and Cornwallis was told to uh, retreat, build a port in Yorktown in order to eventually evacuate Virginia's, to save the rest of his regiments and supplies, to rejoin them up in the, uh, New York so that they can continue and finally finish this entire uh, war. Unfortunately, I had different plans for him. I was able to corner him at Yorktown. I was able to prevent him from uh, leaving Yorktown to go to the Gloucester Point. I was also able to stop him from foraging for supplies and for food. He was now digging in Yorktown for a very long stay. <laughs> the weathers uh, do uh, go against him and it destroys a lot of his boats, his ships. He was unable to leave Virginia at this point. The ships go back to uh, the north to uh, get repairs, and then the French Armada show up in the harbor. Just as the British navies joined, uh, tried to reunite in Virginians, the French navies was able to stop them. Shortly thereafter, Washington shows up in Yorktown. We are able to combine our forces in September of 1781 in order to lay siege on Yorktown. Eventually, we are uh, taking out every redoubt. We are destroying the lines. We are pushing them back into Yorktown Central. And now there are only two redoubts left. A redoubt is a battery. It is an uh, embankment with cannons as protections for the actual Yorktown. Redoubt number nine and redoubt number ten. Now, uh, Washington allows me to take charge and lead the American troops against redoubt number nine where the French take redoubt number 10. I am very proud to say that the veteran French career soldiers 
did not take their redoubt faster than the Virginia regiments under my safe. <laughs> we were able to, in October, force Cornwallis to surrender, which he does try to uh, send his second in command to surrender to myself. I, of course, tell him I am not Washington. This is the gentleman you seek. Knowing that this has been a very uh, um, rude affront, Washington tells him, I will not take your sword. You must give it to General Lincoln, the officer that surrendered to you not that long ago. <laughs> this was also another personal affront on purpose. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, the British, as they were surrendering, struck up their band. Their band started playing the tune, A World Turned Upside Down. At this point, the American revolutions is over. But of course, the official war will not be over until 1783, two years later, when the peace treaty is signed. At this point, I will, uh, knowing there is no other major engagement, knowing that there is no other battle I need to uh, uh, be uh, affiliated with, to be a part of, I will go back to my homeland in Frances and then seek the support for helping uh, Americans to, um, to help them uh, get uh, back on their proper footing, as it were. I am now considered in Frances the hero of two worlds, <laughs> both in France and in Americas. There are those that will say, I am a, um, before the American revolutions, looking back, of course, that I was a statue in search of a pedestal. <laughs> I believe myself to have found it. <laughs> we will, uh, of course, my wife and myself, we will have our fourth child in 1782. This child, I am very proud to say, we named after another specific uh, um, uh, thing, if you will, of Washington. Her name, appropriately, is Virginia. Huh? Oui. Uh, let's see. Um, at this point, as she was telling you earlier, I was only 19 when I became the Major General in the American Forces, the youngest Major General in the Continental Armies. At the Battle of Yorktown, I was not even 24 years old. And by the time I had my fourth child, I was only 25. <laughs> uh, There's something else I can tell you. <clears throat> I choose to wear as a French so, um, officer, nobleman, as a representative of my homeland, I wear a larger hat because as an officer, they get bigger and more extravagant. Uh, in the Continental Armies, Mr. Washington does not like a lot of uh, um, uh, excessive trains, uh, uh, flashy buttons, uh, and uh, other accessories. So he prefers his officers to have very little trim. 
An officer of my rank in the Frances armies would have a, a very wide trim, <laughs> which is why we would need the larger hats. And it would wrap around into the insides <laughs> so that you could see us on the battlefield. The reason for it is the metal woven into this uh, trim shines so that even with the muskets and the cannons and the smoke on the battlefield, the shine, you will still be able to see where your officers are. This is part of the reason. Washington, of course, as I have said, does not like uh, too many extravagant buttons. Uh, these buttons are just like his. They are very plain, very solid gold buttons. They are gold for the same reason. If I were to turn around, you could still, even in the smoke, see the glimmer of every button that I have on my uniform. So that hopefully I could help you find where I am. With these buttons, above a certain rank, you are not attached to a regiment. So there is no need to have a regimental button. So above a certain rank, you are attached to the entire armies, not a specific regiment. And Washington says simply wear a gold uh, flat button because you are attached to the entire armies. Unlike other uh, British armies and the French armies, their buttons for officers will get more and more elaborate. <laughs> uh, I also prefer to wear my sword over the shoulder. This is convenient for myself. Even if I am unprepared with my uh, frock coat off, I still have my sword on. Having it around the waist, it does uh, uh, it tend to get caught on other equipment, but this way I know exactly where it is. As an officer, you expect your regiment to carry all of the equipment, and as an officer, you would only have a sword. This particular sword is an officer's sword, which you can see, it is very narrow, it is very thin. It is not for uh, attacking, it's for defense. This is in the shape of a bayonet, so that you will see it will do the most damage by ripping, as opposed to slicing. A slice can be sewn up. Also, you will see uh, the two finger holes, because this is a defense weapon. It is not meant for attacking. It is not sharpened. You would only sharpen a little bit of the tip so that it will rip as opposed to scratch. Uh, my career soldiers, I studied at the uh, Academy at Versailles, and then I went to Menz in uh, the German province. Uh, Austria in order to continue mass trainings. <clears throat>